0: Character of God and just a whole bunch of stuff that we're doling out all the time. And when a group of people hear it, kind of like some of you have heard, for the first time, it's kind of astonishing and it's refreshing, and it um, makes me kind of want to go out and give it away to people that have never heard before. And it was really fun to see the Spirit of God move and fresh ways in people's lives. And, um, and of course, that has a lot to do with prayer, but also when you've got that spiritual dynamic and then you have the truth that people are just longing for. It was a lot of fun. So you'll be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. I was asked not to share too much about it because, I mean, we don't have a non-existent crowd, but a lot of people are gone. Um, so we wanted to wait till... More of the family is here that we could give a full kind of presentation on what happened and where we're headed with this. I'll share a little bit um, throughout the sermon of some of the things that God did in my heart. It's continuing to do in my heart because of this trip. Here we have, hmm, were there a pair of glasses up here by chance? There was. And where did they go? They're in your Over. Bible. Just, Are they I in did. your head? I Are they we go by the way you did a fabulous job i appreciate that testimony <laughs> that really great. i also thought i don't think there's another church in america where you'd say who's who are the greatest evangelists from the last two centuries We like wesley whitfield finney spurgeon booty like everybody's just like firing out all these names i'm like you guys are pretty awesome so uh anyhow but uh, this group here is us, obviously. And the fun thing, well, one of the fun things about Africa is I'm like the size of Shaquille O'Neal over there. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a colossus, um, which is, <sighs> makes you feel kind of safe. Um, in America, you know, like one in 10 guys are about my size but over there. Um, but this is a single family. And I'll be telling you a little more about them. Just beautiful, beautiful kids. just, um, you can tell just bright-eyed and beautiful countenance. And they're smiling. Huge potential. you know, just and the mom and dad, you see over there smiling. I bet a lot of us wouldn't be smiling if we had been through what they. I've been through and i'll be talking to you about this a little more in a minute i'm going to be running over some stuff that you guys have heard before and it's going to be a little reminder but when it's time for me to preach i pray and i pray and i pray i'm not just going to pull an interesting idea out i've got enough you know in my filing system actually it's more like a reservoir because i've been doing theological education for about 30 years I don't do that. I really want to pray and say, God, what do you want me to say? And then sometimes I feel like, again, like they've heard that. Or I don't know if that's going to work, but I just feel like God put something on my heart. He's like, run with that. So that's the way I do it. That's always the way I do it. Um, Whether I'm over there or over here. So I was just praying about what I needed to share. And um, here we go. But I'm putting this family up here for a reason because we're going to get back to them. Here in a minute. When I got home, I was. By the way, I don't know how we did it, but I beat jet lag both ways. I have no idea how I did that. I've never done it before in my life. This is trip number sixteen to Africa, and I don't know how many. There've been other countries and things too. It was like we beat it. I got there and I didn't have a problem. I got back and I didn't have a problem. So that's. I was thinking since I was older, I was going to get slain. But anyway, I'm sleeping through the night. So I had a dream the other night. And at the end of this dream, and I'm not overly mystical, and even if I do get something mystical, I always, I'm going to go check with the word. And if you get something mystical, I'm going to check with the word. And that makes a lot of people leave the church. They're like, no, I want something that trumps the word. No, nothing trumps the word. If you get a dream or a vision or an impression, we're going to go to the word. And if not, something that God would say because, he, you know, anyway. So God does speak to me in my dreams sometimes, occasionally. I had this dream, and at the end of the dream, there was a verse, and I could not remember it. We're huge on scripture memory here. Um, that will redo your life more than—it's uh, hard to say more than anything. But without it, you, you're not going to grow. You're not going to become mature because you can't really know how to do anything else. You won't know how to do anything else unless you internalize the word. But there's a verse that I've known—I don't know for 25 years. I couldn't remember it in my dream, and uh, it's a pretty common verse, and it's this one, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. So I woke up and I was like, why can't I remember that verse? You know, And I went and looked it up and I went through it in the Hebrew and just meditated on it, prayed over it because I think God was trying to just ring my bell. Sometimes when you wake up with a God dream or something, there'll be a question that you're turning over in your head and you're mulling over and you're like, why was that was weird? What is that all about? And that's what God wants you to do. It kind of makes it stick. Um, and so when you get your answer, uh, it just helps you not forget what he's trying to say. That's why he uses weird imagery and whatever sometimes. Like, What is going on? Why we need other people involved? What do you think this dream meant? Happens all through the Bible. But in this dream, I couldn't remember this. Thus says Yahweh. And again, for those of you who aren't in church very often in your Bible, it will say Lord in caps. But Yahweh is God's personal name. It's the name he prefers. And it, in Hebrew, it means something like he is. He can call himself Ayah. I share, which is I am. I share, I, I am that I am. we call him He is Yahweh, and that's his preferred name. What his friends call him. This is what he says: Let not, or don't let, a wise man or an educated man boast about his wisdom. So you got a lot of information between your ears. You know your cranium loaded up with information. That's not something to boast about. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Which you athletic, you physically strong. Whatever. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, which these are all the things humans boast about. Education. Well, what's your What's your highest degree? How much can you bench press? What's your bank account look like? Tell me about your investments. No, these are not things to boast about. According to God. According to us, yeah, of course, that's all we got. It's what we boast about. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understand and understands and knows me. Can you boast about that? Do you know him? Well, according to God, if you can't boast about that, you got nothing to boast about. If you can say that, it doesn't matter if you're crippled, you have no money in the bank, and you don't even have your high school education. If you know him, he says, then you have something to boast about. So, well, what should we know about him? I am Yahweh, oops, misspelling <laughs> who does performs kindness so sorry about that early morning putting these things together i am yahweh who does kindness and of course you know what hebrew word that is that is yeah it's hesed the most important uh theological term in the old testament um i'm yahweh who does kindness justice we don't talk so much about that but justice is what works out in the real world when we're doing kindness it's uh, children without parents finding loving homes. It's, uh, you know, poor widows being taken care of. It's, it's racial oppression coming to an end. It's poverty being alleviated. It's a world where uh, wrongs are righted. I am Yahweh who does kindness, justice, and righteousness. And again, righteousness is just the outworking of chesed. On earth, I delight in these things. So if you know me and you know I love this kind of stuff, then that's something to boast about. We talk about this all the time. So I'll just jump over that one. And so if this is our God, then we claim to serve God, we claim to follow God. We're made in his image. We're supposed to reflect God. So, of course, in the Bible, the Bible's got two parts, right? We got the Old Testament Testament and the New Testament, right? So in the Old Testament, people say, oh, God's mean and harsh. And, um, you know, he likes smiting people and sending plagues. In the New Testament, we have the gentle Jesus who carries a lamb in his arms. Um, Actually, the gentle picture of God carrying a lamb in his arms comes from Isaiah 40, which is in the Old Testament. Actually, God doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's the same. His character is the same. Even though experts who don't know the Bible that well we'll, will try to convince you that God in the Old Testament is different than God in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we learn that God is a God who delights in chesed. He's full of compassion. He wants to help people. He doesn't like to judge people. He always prefers mercy to judgment. He says, this is all Old Testament. I I don't delight in the death of anyone who dies. Rather, they repent and live. Um, Again, we hear Exodus 34, 6 all the time. He's compassionate, and gracious, and slow to anger, great in kindness and faithfulness. This is his own description of himself. So then the whole point of the Old Testament is trying to convince the, the old covenant followers of Yahweh that that's what they're supposed to be. So when you come to the, to, to the prophetic books, you have summary statements like Micah 6-8, which is a super famous one. He has told you, O oh man, O oh person, what is good, what Yahweh requires of you. Do justice, again, same words, love chesed. Walk humbly with your God. So if you're worshiping this God, that's what you do. You do this kind of stuff. The, the biblical message is so, so many religion, religionists and even leaders and pastors and seminary professors. We missed the whole point, but it's so incredibly simple. It's God has a certain character. He's very kind, very gracious, very generous. Um, It doesn't mean there's no judgment, um, because if you persist in your sin, you will be destroyed with your sin. But this loving, gracious, compassionate God is taking care of all punishment and everything you deserve so that you don't have to be destroyed with your sin. You can be released from your sin. You can be given a new heart. But the whole point is so that you'll function like he does. It's really simple. So he tells us in the Old Testament who he is. And then the prophets say, you're supposed to be worshiping this God. And as you worship this God, you're supposed to be becoming like this God. Well, what is this God all about? He's all about showing kindness and righting wrongs. And he's a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widow. And he makes a home for the lonely. And uh, so the, the message is simple. And it's all encapsulated in that one word, hesed. Which again, I think most scholarly studies get it wrong. Study it out for yourself. No, that takes work. Yeah, but this is your soul. This is the biggest question there is. This is the the most important thing. We Jesus said this that this is eternal life. This is the the whole game. This is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have said. That's the whole game. So put in the work. Some of you guys have degrees, some of you guys are getting advanced degrees. You know, you'll you'll spend my sons getting a medical degree it's i don't know how many years he's going to be 10 years so you can operate on people's physical bodies or more some of you guys spend you know 4 years of undergraduate 2 3 years master's level so that you can work on airplanes or be a good school administrator or whatever so we can put a little work into our pursuit of god so this one word kindness god says get to know it, reflect it. This is the simple message. How do you know if you're doing things the way God wants you to get them done? Because you're full of compassion and kindness and you're doing good things for people all day long. Doesn't sound like the religion I grew up in. Mine was a bunch of rules and hoops and jump high, jump higher, not jumping high enough. And are the girls' skirts too long? Are they too high? Can a boy have pierced ears, tattoos? Can we listen to this style of music or not? Can Christians have a beer? It's, you know, are we allowed to dance? Can we go to movies? It's like, no, you're going to go to, it's like all this crazy, had almost absolutely nothing to do with. Be kind, compassionate, loving, right? The wrongs around you. Find a home for the homeless. Go to the, go to the girl in the street, you know, who's, why is she a prostitute? She didn't, she didn't, Wake up when she was five years old and say, Do you want to be a Disney princess or a prostitute? I think I'll be a prostitute. No, she's been sexually abused. Mom and dad aren't around. Mom's having a bunch of bums in the house and they're sexually abusing her. She feels worthless. She doesn't get proper education. She becomes, Jesus, is like, they love, those kind of people love Jesus. Those were the, he says, prostitutes and tax gatherers and drunks. They all wanted to be around him because he was righting the wrongs. He was showing them, Hey, there's a better way. You are loved. You are valuable. Come out of that lifestyle. You have gifts. You have, you have an ability to walk a blessed life. Let me show you the way. It's always been God's program. You know who he is. You imitate him. How do you know you're getting it? So we go to the New Testament, and Jesus says, let me spell this out for you really, really clear. So we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let me spell it out really, really clear. So nobody misses it. A lot of us grew up in churches. No. Religion is about... You can't eat fish on Fridays. You have to fast during this season. And then there's these different kinds of sin and these kinds of remedies. And it's this kind of obstacle course where you got to go to the priest and then he then you sin and then he puts the right remedy on it or whatever we grew up with. And I think God's up in heaven going, What are you doing? What in the world are you doing down there? Read the book. If you really, if you're really hungry for it, he says, Seek for me, you'll find me if you seek with all your heart. What are you going to find? You're going to find God is compassionate, kind, gracious. You're created to bear his image. And once you finally get a look at him, you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm nothing like him. I'm I'm all selfishness. I'm all scratching and clawing. Even my religion. I'm trying to work some deity that doesn't exist to, to fulfill all my needs and make me happy and serve me. And God's like, that's not the program. The program is see me clearly, imitate me. So Jesus tells a story. Trying to sum this all up for us. What's it all about? It's that you'd function like this kind, compassionate, wonderful, loving God that most people don't know. Most people have never seen. Most people's vision of God is whacked. Why? Because they won't get in the word. Because they're afraid to deviate from their parents' religion. Um, they're afraid of their culture. They're afraid of some persecution. If you're not persecuted for what you believe about God, you're not in the truth. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. If you're not persecuted for what you believe about God, you're not in the truth. Jesus said, blessed are you, men revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad your reward in heaven is great. That's how they treated all the prophets. That's what happens when you get it right. The world and the religion, even the religious world, the religious world put Jesus on the cross. So you're going to get grief, but the program is really pretty simple get a vision of God, wonderful, loving, kind, gracious, just wants to right the wrongs in the world, you know you're getting it because that's the way you start to function. Not because you can keep the rules better than anybody else. Anybody ever try to serve God by keeping the rules? Oh, isn't that fun? Anybody almost lose their mind along with me? Yeah, it's no fun. And if, and if you didn't, you didn't try that hard. You just need to push a little harder, and then, you, then you'd start needing your meds and have to go to a psychotherapist Because you can't do it. You can't. You can't get right by keeping rules. So Jesus tells us how this is done. Super famous passage in the New Testament. Luke Again, we're in the New Testament now. Jesus is trying to explain the program that's always been operative. Luke, 20, uh, Luke 10, 25 to 29. A Torah specialist, the Torah is the the, the Old Covenant, it's what we call the Old Testament. Your Bible will say a lawyer, and you'll think, oh, Harvard Law. No, totally wrong picture of when your Bible says lawyer. We're talking a Torah specialist. We're talking somebody that has the entire Old Testament probably memorized and spends all day studying it, comparing it, arguing with other people about what it means. So a Torah specialist, an Old Testament specialist, because the New Testament doesn't exist yet, so Bible scholar stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So isn't this what we want to know? How do we know we're getting it right, Jesus? How do we know we're on the team? One of my final ser- sermons before I went to Africa was about judgment. How do I know that I'm going to be among the sheep, not among the goats? How do I know that I'm going to hear, come you, blessed of my father, inherit eternal, you know, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world? And I won't hear Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. How do I know I got it right, teacher? He said to him, what is written in the Torah? He says, how do you summarize the message of the Old Testament? How does it read to you? The specialist says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Bonus points, where's that from? It's a Deuteronomy chapter 6, right around the Shema Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, etc. Um, And this other section says, then he adds to it a little piece from a Leviticus, love your neighbors yourself. Yep. Love God, love your neighbors. If you get that out of the Bible and you're doing it, that indicates that you're in. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do, the sermon's called do, do this, you'll live. You love God with all your heart, you love all the people around you, you will live. So this guy wishing to justify himself, said to Jesus, "Who's my neighbor?" So he wants to get out of it. He doesn't want to have to love everybody. He wants to put conditions on it. why Because he's still infected with selfishness, which is our primary problem. So then Jesus tells a story and I don't know if I need to go into the whole story because it'll take a lot of time. probably one of the top, at least could be the most famous. The prodigal son might be the most famous story, but but the um good samaritan. So I'll I'll jump over to it. But this is the same message that we're getting all through Old Covenant, New Covenant. All right, I'll go ahead and read it then if you insist. Jesus replied and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, went away leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest, an incredibly religious dude, was going down the road when he saw this beat-up man. He passed by on the other side. Why? He didn't want to be late for church. Of course, he was busy being religious. Likewise, a Levite—that's another religious dude. That's the, the priests are the kind of the, the, the guys that take care of the high-functioning stuff in the temple, like sacrifices and all that. And then the Levites are one to take care of kind of the secondary, maybe like elder, pastor, deacon kind of thing. So it would be like a pastor, an elder passing by. This dude is beat up on the road. And then a deacon comes by. Man, I'm busy, man. I got stuff to do. We got a meal at church. We got to shuffle people around. I got to look at the budget. I don't got time. Besides that, it's bleeding all over the place. I mess up my nice Sunday clothes. and I don't have time for them. So a Samaritan, now if you know the Bible, you know that Samaritans are hated by Jews and Jews are hated by Samaritans. So if you travel to different parts of the world, you have this group hates that group. And my first trip to Africa, I went to Rwanda. Any of you guys ever watched the movie Hotel Rwanda? Just to have, go, go, go watch it and prepare not to function very well for the rest of the day. It's not about black and white or brown and yellow or people just wanna hate somebody. So in Rwanda, it was the Hutus and the Tutsis, and you can't really tell them apart. They just wanted to hate each other. and the Hutus went on a rampage in the early 90s and wiped out a million of them in about six months. It's horrible, horrible. So the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans was similar. There were like massacres one side to the other. There's a story in the Old Testament where Jesus and the disciples were passing through a Samaritan town. And the Samaritan's like, we're not, you know, they went to an inn. And the innkeeper's like, we're not letting you in here. You guys are Jews. And the disciples are like, you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus is like, you guys are clueless. You guys have no no idea. You guys are still, you've been following me, and you're still, you know, dumb as stones when it comes to what I'm up to. But anyway, so these, this is a Samaritan. So the religious folks don't have time. This hated race, this guy comes by, and he says, ah, another human being in need. He came upon him when he saw him, he felt compassion. He's moved in his guts. He let the need move him. He bandaged up his wounds, poured oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, took care of him on the next day, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend. When I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? They said the one who showed mercy, and if you know your Bible, you know that this word in the Greek is Elias, which is, it's, it's hesed, basically. Since this is written in Greek, he uses a Greek word, but it's, it's that Old Testament word I was emphasizing. That is the central attribute of God. It says he's shown you what is good and what the Lord desires of you. He says, if you know me, you know hesed. If you're following me, you're doing hesed. And this is basically what Jesus is saying. The Samaritan did hesed here. That's what he did. But since it's in Greek, it says Elias. For those of you who are real technicians, check the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew that the New Testament authors were using. This is literally the word that the Septuagint uses to translate hesed. So if you're confused, come to some of our seminars on Saturday morning and uh, start learning the Bible at a a deeper level. But Jesus basically says, oh, I'm telling you, here's what God has been up to since the beginning of time. He's trying to create this. Inside of you, so this is how you function. Is this Samaritan trying to earn salvation here? No, it's not about earning salvation. That's sick, twisted, perverted, human centered, selfish religion where we're doing things to try to earn God's favor. And if you're still in that trap, you've not gone very far with God. There's no earning God's love, there's no earning his favor, there's no earning your way into heaven. You're sunk. There's nothing you can do to get into God's good graces because you deserve judgment and wrath. And there's nothing you can do to earn God's love because he already loves you. But he's kind of in a bind because he loves you. But you've done so many horrific things that you deserve to be judged. And that's what the gospel is. So God himself comes and takes the form of a man. and He dies on a cross for your sins. He pays your penalty so that you can be free of all of your guilt and God can love you and lavish all the good stuff on you as he's always wanted to, since you were just in an idea in his head from eternity past. He takes care of our sin problems, brings us into his family, changes our heart so that we can function like he functions. Am I making this complicated? Is this hard to follow? God is kind, he's good, he's loving. I don't care what you were taught. Some of you took too many theology classes. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to get rid of a lot of that junk. You are. If you really want to see God, he ha- he's hiding himself from you behind all your 25 cent words. He's a kind, compassionate, gracious, loving person. He loves everyone. You were created to reflect his image. When you first come to him, you realize I've been doing everything but that. Even my religion has been a selfish quest. I've been trying to leverage him to get into heaven, to get things from him, to get me out of jams. It's all been me leveraging God. God said, that's not the program. The program is you have a sick, twisted, inverted heart. And I need to heal your heart. I need to forgive you. I need to come into your life. I need to fill you with my spirit so you can now function like me. That's the program. That's always been the program. That's why we preach the gospel. The gospel is you're sick, twisted, as (laughs) As uh, George Whitfield once said, well, Benjamin Franklin, he never got saved, but he used to like to go to George Whitfield's sermons. And he said, George Whitfield convinced people that they're half beast, half demon, and they love him for it. Do you know that before you come to Christ, you're half beast, half demon? You're just living for yourself. You're selfish. You're not a good person. You know? you're, you, it's just all about you. And God says, so Your problem is your heart, you deserve judgment. Jesus took it for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes would not perish. You deserve to perish. Jesus took your wrath. Receive his forgiveness, receive his Holy Spirit. Let him turn your heart around. So instead of scratching, clawing, pulling everything to yourself, you're free. You're free to flow and to love. If you're not living a life that's flowing, you're not living. If you're living a life that you're trying to gather and how do I make myself happy and what career is going to make me happy, what person is going to make me happy, what identity is going to make me happy. I just got to find happy. Never going to find it. When you finally realize my problem is my, my sick, twisted heart that's turned the wrong way. God, forgive me. Forgive me for all the pain that I've caused in this quest. Scratching, clawing, trying to find happiness and taking and hurting and stepping on other people. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me your heart, turn it around. That's always been God's program since the beginning of time. I don't. Is one person in ten who calls himself a Christian getting this? He says, if you're functioning like the Good Samaritan, you're getting it. You're doing the stuff. You're not doing it to earn. You're doing it because you're functioning like your Father who's in heaven, and you get a lot of joy out of it. If you get pleasure out of it, it's fun. Because you and God are in a partnership and he's flowing through you and you're feeling alive because that's what you're created for. This is what the whole Bible is about. So Jesus says, okay, what the prophet said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him boast, boast in this that he knows me. I'm the God who does Hesed, And then he says, what's required of you? That you love Hesed." And then Jesus says, this is what it looks like. And then the message of the New Testament and why Jesus died was so that your heart could get fixed. How do we know we're getting it? Because we get a lot of joy out of serving and loving other people. And if that makes no sense to you, it's because you're not born again. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not even living. You're actually like a, Honestly, I don't want to be too crowded but I said this the other week. You're like a brain-eating zombie. You're like a dead, you're animated, but you're still dead, and you're just consuming people. And you're trying to trying to find some kind of joy, satisfaction out of that. That's a normal normal. You're not created to be a brain-eating zombie. You're created to be a son or a daughter of the living God who lives for others, gives to others, finds great joy. And and I'll tell you from experience, there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy than knowing God. Functioning is your creative function. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some people know what I'm talking about. Seriously, it's like euphoria. It's people like, oh, you're such a martyr. You know, such a martyr. You go traveling around the world and you know, living without a big fat salary. My son's first job out of college, he made about ten thousand dollars more than I ever made in my life on a paycheck. We had to live miracle to miracle to miracle, which is pretty fun. But uh, because we weren't about money, we wanted to try to do, you know, we wanted to follow the Lord. But in terms of joy and peace and depth of relationship and being able to just watch God touch people's lives, there's nothing like it. So God's inviting you to life. This is what it looks like. Fascinating Old Testament passage. I love this one. I'm not going to do too much explanation here. This is one of the very last books in the Old Testament. He's like, you guys have got it wrong. You've always got it wrong. I don't know what you're doing in the temple, what you're teaching people. Your prophets are prophesying. It's all nonsense. He would say the same thing today to the Bible-believing, born-again evangelical church. I'm convinced of it. Whether you think you're a Christian on the left or whether you think you're a Christian on the right, he'd say most of you guys are just out of your, he wouldn't say blinking, I would, minds, You're still just all about yourself. So one of the very last books in the Old Testament, he says, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord, again, that's Yahweh, Yahweh saboet, which is Lord of hosts, perform, do, real justice. Remember that setting things right. Practice, do, kindness, that's hesed, and compassion, which is let your heart be moved by other people. Each to his brothers. Don't oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. Don't devise evil in your heart against one another. But they refused to pay attention, turned a stubborn shoulder, stopped their ears from hearing. But they still went to church. They still got their degrees. They went on mission. They made their hearts like flint so they could not hear the law or the words which Yahweh sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts, just as he called and they would not listen. So they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. This is a lot like one of my favorite passages, in Isaiah 58, where they're all religious and they're crying out to God and they're saying, why aren't you listening or fasting and society's in chaos and terrible things are happening. God's like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you think you're doing down there. You call yourself my people. You say you're a covenant. You like quote the scriptures. I don't know what you're doing. Because the program's always been about reflecting the true nature of God, which is revealed in Christ. And that's the whole program. So let's get back to this family here. So I can't get this family off my mind. I was also super proud of my wife. I like to brag on my wife. She don't brag on herself. So I brag on my wife. Little girls just absolutely loved her. And it was just fun to watch her. You never know how someone's going to do their first time in Africa. But she just. She killed it, she was great. And also with the older women and I mean, but especially it was just fun to just watch the, the, but these girls are all children of this woman and we're sitting around in their apartment. They're hanging by a thread. They've turned off their water, funny story. So they had an outhouse and I couldn't shoot It, it. It was this big steel contraption thing. And I couldn't get the door to shut, so a little kid said, oh, I'll lock it from the outside. <laughs> and then he <it> disappeared. <laughs> and it started to get hot, man. <laughs> I'm like, bang, 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 bang. Then after a while, everyone's sitting around, outside there and they're like, man, Then. did he eat something (laughs) strange but then the little boy said oh i forgot (laughs) but anyway but their water's shut off they're hanging by the thread they can't work this family came from the congo 10 kids she has a tumor the size of a small watermelon or a cyst that fills her entire abdomen she can't get in for help they got 10 kids that they can barely feed. Sometimes they have to decide, are we're gonna pay rent or we're gonna feed our kids. And they're beautiful kids I mean, they're just, you know, all kids are beautiful, but some of them are pretty, just almost stunning, you know? And these kids are just beautiful kids. And then the husband is willing to work, but uh, he tried to start a business and he got beat and he had some internal bleeding in his brain, had seizures. Um, he, but, but he comes from the Congo, so he speaks French. So he doesn't even speak, he neither speaks English nor Luganda, so even though he's willing to work, most men in his situation would have abandoned the family. And uh, maybe the one thing I'll remember is this was our, one of our last stops before we left. One of the, I can't even remember which African told me this, one of the leaders said, the man said, you visiting us made me think that God has not forgotten us. Their 18-year-old son is the only one who's really Proficient in English and really understands what's going on. He talked about what happened to them in the Congo, being chased around by uh, the Congo is just a nightmare. If there's one place on earth you don't want to go, it's the Congo. But uh, just different military factions. Um, one day they came to their house. He said his his dad's brother looks just like him. They murdered him, mm-hmm. thinking it was his father. So you know their their uncle that they love was murdered. Um, and they're, they're just being chased all around, beaten, threatened. Um, and, you know, they, they said this openly, but the 18-year-olds talking to me about how they separated out the women, the women. His mother was raped by this army. Just going on and on. Uh, and they find, you know, refuge in this country where they can't get enough money to take care of their family. And as a man, you try to provide... It gets taken away from you. You, you, you're disabled, you're so frustrating. And as the woman, she, the whole time she's sitting there, she's like, because <clears throat> she's got a tumor the size of a small watermelon in her abdomen. And uh, of course they love their kids as much as we love our kids. And they did all they could to take care of them. But now they're in this impossible situation. They're living in, a, in a, a slum and everybody every so often gets malaria there. So. Who's going to go off next with malaria? Can't feed their kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I can't get this family out of my mind. Just can't. I saw a lot of things. We're, we have big plans you know, for what we're going to do. But Jesus said, look, being a Christian is not about keeping rules. Um, it's about reflecting a God of love. Who deeply loves all people because they're made in his image and he wants us to partner with him to bring justice which means set things right to convince people that god hasn't forgotten them so, "Well, why did He set the game up like that you can file a complaint when you get to heaven but for some reason god is up to something in us and it's conforming us to the image of his son so he put us in this environment where there's a lot of suffering a lot of pain That comes from our misuse of our free will. You've caused plenty of pain. I've caused plenty of pain. So why is there so much suffering in the world? Because of you, knucklehead. I'm not going to look at anyone. Because of you. Because of me. That's why there's so much suffering in the world. Why doesn't God annihilate it? Because there'd be nothing but a smoking crater if he did. If he took care of everything, you know. So, yeah, there's some mystery in the game. But how do we fix things? God says you fix it. Let me fix your heart. Let me fill you with my spirit. Then you go find someone who needs my love, who needs my help, who needs my grace. Like the good Samaritan did. Go find, let them move your heart and then go get your hands dirty. That's the whole program. Now, it is an art and a skill and it takes practice. And when you get started, you're going to get burned and you're going to get taken advantage of and people are going to lie to you and they're going to rip you off and you're going to be cheated it's happened to me, I don't know how many times in Africa, but I keep going back. And there's going to be situations where you fail and you pour it all out for somebody. And then they walk away and they spit in your eye. Um, but the love of God and the grace of God, it's going to work and it's going to work and it's going to work. And, and if you live your life the way you wants you to live it, you're going to hopefully by the time your race is up, you're going to have a whole bunch of people behind you whose lives are infinitely better because you partnered with God. You understood the program. You understood it was about love, compassion, kindness, functioning with Him, bringing goodness into this dark world. So for me, like this is my assignment. And I think Susan is saying the same thing. I'm texting this morning. I'm like, look, we got big plans. You know, and I want to do a big economic development project. Eventually, we're talking about farm and land and growing stuff and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, here's a family that's right in my face. I think they're red. I, I could just take it out of my paycheck every month without a whole, you know, big blow. Like I can take care of the problem. So I need to get involved. That's what being a Christian is. You're reflecting God. You're becoming like Christ. What did Christ do? He woke up in the morning and he went around saying, hmm, who has a need? Oh, man, hungry people. Let me go feed them. Oh, gosh. A leper, nobody will even touch him. Come here, come here. You're important. You're valuable. Oh, a sick person. Let me heal him. That's what he did all day long. Oh, a throwaway, a prostitute. Come here. You're forgiven and you're loved and you're valuable. You know, that kind of person that would wash his feet with her tears. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what being a Christian is. It does take a lot of work to renew your mind. You don't just fall off the turnip wagon and you're suddenly a miracle working, Jesus-like person. God puts the impulse in you, but then you have to learn how to do it. And it gets, it gets pretty technical. Uh, love how to apply it properly in different situations. But that's, that's the whole thing. And so this is my assignment that God's given me. Um, and uh, I guess my challenge to you is, is what I said clear, what's your assignment? You get to sit around for the next three four years just read big fat theological books and then maybe god will give you assignment for for you no it's your brother it's your sister it's your roommate it's the person that you know that it's a two drug addicts i saw sitting outside mcdonald's yesterday when i went to get my uh number two sandwich breakfast sandwich right that's that's your assignment that's what it's about jesus said it the old testament said it, it that's why you're born again. Some of us are born again to leverage more stuff out of God. I want my mansion in the sky. I want my whatever, a white pony. I want... No, you're saved so you can function like God. So you, by the power of the Spirit, by the guide to the Spirit, you can rescue. You can bring God's grace. You can bring God's love. So that's what I got for you. And that's because that's what's on my heart. And if you want to have, if you want to live, do this kind of stuff. If you don't have joy, if you want to have uh, things to talk about from this year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, do this kind of stuff. Everything else is going to fall off. Your new car, you're not going to care. You're not going to be boasting about your, you know, whatever, your Prius. It's going to be rusting somewhere. You know, you're not going to be boasting about your, even your Land Cruiser, you're not going to be boasting about it. You're not going to be even talking about your house, your new couch, nothing. You're going to be talking about people, that's what you'll be talking about in 20 years. Who God used you to touch, change, connect to Him, that you got to be a part of that. So, and if you've never been born again, you've never had your heart changed, you've never understood your soul sickness and realized God has to do that huge reversal of your heart so that instead of gathering, <coughs> clawing, scratching to yourself, you flow outward. He so said, if any of you are thirsty. That means you've never been satisfied yet. He said, come to me. He said, I'll give you living water. Then what happens? And then from your innermost being will flow. Rivers of living water. So he said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and then I'll make you flow. If you've never been born again, you're still a dead person walking. And you, if, you, if you've never been born again, you don't know what that means. I don't care if you've been in church. I don't care if you have a theological degree. If you don't know what that means and it's never happened to you, you walk out that door and you're dead. And then when you stand before God, you're going to have what the bible calls a second death he's going to say look you walked around as a dead man even though i offered you life um and so now you basically you go into the cosmic trash can because you never understood what the whole program was about it's to become like him so if you're not born again come talk to me like oh you're scary you know big words and you know hebrew and greek and you have know done all kinds of stuff and, I don't want to feel dumb. You are dumb. Just come talk to me. If you're not born again, if you're not, if you're, we're all stupid. We're all weak. We're all pathetic. We all need, even as much as you learn, we're all just so needy all the time. Just humble yourself. God says, God's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's just fun to say, I'm weak. I'm terrible at everything. I don't know much. Um, Just come talk to me because God wants to heap the good stuff on you. And humility is the way you get in. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sure sounds good. I, I do have that yearning, that longing. I don't know what it is. Explain more about this, Jesus. Explain more about this born again. I want to love. I'm no good at it. I know I should be. I know that if I had to stand before God right now, he'd say hell, and I'd say, absolutely, that's what I deserve. But uh, talk to me. But for those of you who know better, we lose sight, don't we? We forget what it's about, right? We think it's about reading theology books and apologetic books and getting our ministry and people's applause, and we just lose sight of it all. No, it's about loving. People, setting things right. So uh, I'll do a real quick application here. What's your application? His sermon always says application. Get a heart transplant. Do you have God's heart? Are you a giver? Does the phrase that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? Do you know what he means when he said, you get way more out of giving than you do from receiving. If that doesn't make sense to you, you're probably not born to get a heart transplant. Let God's spirit change you, cleanse you, move in, forgive you. And then get to know God for real, not secondhand. Don't go to church and don't believe me just because I said it and I'm the pastor. Get your nose in the word. Get a, cry out to God. God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. Get to know God for real. It takes work. If you and I were going to be friends, we couldn't have half-hour coffee together and be in some deep, intimate friendship for the rest of our lives. It takes time. It takes time to get to know him. It takes time to renew your thoughts so you really understand who he is. Get to know him. Develop the mind of Christ. And it's mostly through study of the Bible. And, of course, prayer. Because the Holy Spirit has to open your mind to what it's actually saying. Hang around people who are better at this than you are. Again, there's that humility thing. Just say, "Wow, this person knows." I love people. I wanna, I wanna just go to coffee with them. I'm like, "Hey," they say, "Hey, I'm, I'm going on this ministry. Can I, can I come along and just watch how you do that? Explain that to me. How do you share your faith with people? You open up your house to people. How in the world did you ever, you know, you run a ministry house? How did that happen? You just." Where did you get the skills to, to walk someone for brokenness? to home? Find people who are better than you. If they'll give you the time of day, that's one of the greatest gifts God will ever give to you. And usually they will because they're super excited to see other people uh, develop the heart and the mind of God. Pray like crazy, like Lynette was saying. This is a supernatural operation. Without God's help, it doesn't work. Every life that you touch in the name of God that's supernaturally transform it's because the whole it's this mysterious Holy Spirit thing that's happening while you're partnering with God, and that only happens through prayer. So, you got to learn how to pray. Some of you are like, I don't even know how to pray. I've been a Christian for 10 years. What are you talking about? Pray for an hour. I don't even know what to say. All I say rub, dub, dub, thanks for the grill. That's all I got. Now, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. How do you pray for an hour? Learn the skill, learn the art. Come on Tuesday night, figure it out. And then, the final thing, not the final thing but almost, don't wait around, look around. Who's around you right now that you can reach out to and love? That's, it's, that's living. Fatherless kid, homeless person, suicidal friend. <clears throat> and then finally get busy. Just do something. Do it, Christians, born again people. This is what life is about. This is, this is why we live. This is why we're here. to be the love of God. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify God in heaven. They see what you're doing like, oh, now I understand who God is. You say God is kind. Oh, like you're kind. Okay. I thought he was this angry angry Zeus guy with lightning bolts, but you're kind. And you say that's your God, right? When we do this, then we point people. So that's what I got for you. Please pray for me because that's my assignment. What's your assignment? You don't got an assignment. You're not listening. If you don't, if you don't have an assignment from the Lord, it starts with prayer. You have to sacrifice. You got to get your hands dirty. Might get blood on your clothes. Might mess with your schedule, adjust your life. But ultimately it's all that matters. Loving God, loving others. So, all right, well, let's, uh, wrap this up with a word of prayer. And, uh, yeah, hope we can stick around and fellowship. And if I haven't met you yet, please come up and uh, introduce yourself. I'd love to love to get to know you. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you that you are easy to live with. I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you want to forgive us. You want to bless us. You want us to fulfill our created purpose. You want us to know the joy. just something of the joy of, of being like you. You enjoy being yourself. And you created us in your image so we can know the joy of being like you, being loving and kind and giving and serving others and seeing them thrive because we serve them. So I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts, people's lives would be changed because of what they heard today. And Lord, I pray that if anybody needs to have their heart changed and be born again, that this would be the day of salvation. Holy Spirit, get a hold of them, bring people into the kingdom in this house, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.